0: This morning and turn in our Bibles to uh, the book of Genesis chapter 50, the final chapter in the book of Genesis. Uh, on Sunday mornings, we've been uh, in a series entitled uh, Gleanings from the Book of Genesis, and we come now uh, to the very end of it uh, today. We'll pick things up this morning in uh, verse 15. And when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which uh, we did to him. And so they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, 'Thus thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you. Please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. And now please forgive the trespass of the, the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. And now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly uh, to them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for being able to come together in all of the ways that we are united by your holy spirit united by a common worship experience and now uh, united in partaking of the same spiritual meal from your word and we pray that you would speak to us this morning from your word and as we've been through this uh, epidemic and it still continues to go on and how many things were right and how many things were wrong more wrong than right and and uh, all of uh, us doubting what is the truth about anything, just about, and how wonderful it is to be able to come to your word and to know that it is settled, it never changes, it is always right, and it is the foundation upon which we can build our lives in eternities and always do so without shame or disappointment or change. Thank you for your word, the privilege to study it today. We pray and ask that. You would remove every distraction that um, might be a part of uh, our lives at this moment, in order that we might hear Your Word and receive uh, from You, Lord. We pray this morning as well for the family of George Floyd, and we there are no words for what we felt when uh, we watched that video. To watch a man who could be our father, could be our son could be our brother, could be our friend, and to watch the life leave his body one minute at a time, the anger that it produces, Lord, and um, the, the sorrow, the brokenheartedness that that could be done to a human being so callously in that situation. And, Lord, we pray for his family today. We pray for his parents Uh, his brothers and sisters. We pray for his friends. We watched it from a distance and were mortified. We cannot imagine what must have gone through their hearts, the pain of it, Lord, in watching their loved one uh, die in such a way. We don't know whether they know you. We pray, Lord, that your grace would be strong upon them and only you are bigger than what a human being is facing in their shoes and circumstances. We don't know them personally, but we want the best for them. And Lord, we know that you do even more so. And we pray that you would wrap that family, those friends up, in yourself today and draw them to you. We pray for peace in our country and the rioting that is going on and we ask that You would supernaturally intervene, and that this would quickly be brought to an end. And Lord, we see the devil's hand at work, and, and uh, the movement from peaceful demonstration into rioting, and we see the, the murder, we see the thief, we see the liar who has come only to destroy at work, and we pray that You would bind his influence, in our nation, in all of that. We pray that you would give our leaders uh, wisdom. We pray that you would give our law enforcement and our citizens protection and patience and grace in all of this. And we pray that you would raise up statesmen and stateswomen within the government, men and women who have a voice and have influence to speak to all Americans and to be heard and that you would raise them up and allow their voice to be heard. And we pray, Lord, that they would come also from the ranks of your people, prepared for such a time as this. We know that the ultimate solution for the fragmenting of the world and of our country in so many ways is to be united around you. And we pray that today, all around the world, that many, many people would come to know you, And come into your kingdom and be unified in that supernatural way. And we pray for that work of your Holy Spirit here today, all around the world today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. This morning, as I mentioned, we complete our current study and series entitled the uh, cleanings from the book of Genesis. And it's our 35th uh, study in the series. And we close by looking at what is the single greatest lesson associated with uh, the life of Joseph. And that is saying a lot because the account concerning uh, Joseph in the book of Genesis fills uh, fully Uh, one-quarter to one-third of the book, and you think about the significance of what is covered in that uh, the book of Genesis and for such a large amount of it to be uh, focused upon him. We remember, of course, the injustices that were done to Joseph. He was hated by his brothers. He was envied by his brothers. They stripped him of his uh, brightly colored coat, They threw him into a pit with the intention that uh, he would die there intent upon killing him, and then uh, explaining his death to his father as him having been killed by wild uh, animals, and instead not wanting, as as the time passed by, minutes and hours, not wanting to have the actual blood of their brother on their hands, uh, they decided to sell him. Uh, as a slave to uh, Midianite traders who were traveling on their way to Egypt and they sold them for 20 shekels of silver. The Midianite traders uh, obviously wanted a quick return on their 20 shekels of silver and so as soon as they got into Egypt uh, they took Joseph to the slave market where he was then uh, purchased by an officer of Pharaoh's court a man by the name of uh, Potiphar and he was later falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife which resulted in him then being cast uh, into prison and then his exaltation is also recorded Uh, in the passage, until, uh, as he remains in that prison, until one day, Potiphar has a series of dreams, not Potiphar, but uh, Pharaoh has a series of dreams that trouble him, and he asks all of his counselors, all of his wise men to uh, give him an interpretation for the dreams, and they're unable to do so. And in the light of all of this, it brought to mind the mind of uh, the cupbearer of uh, Pharaoh, brought to mind the fact that Joseph had interpreted his dream, the dream of, of the Pharaoh's baker when they had been thrown into prison two years Uh, earlier. And the cupbearer then suggested to Pharaoh that this Joseph be brought forth to see if he could interpret the dreams. And Joseph was then sent for. He was cleaned up from uh, prison and probably shaved and haircut and all of these kind of things. And uh, Pharaoh then proceeded to tell Joseph his dreams. And uh, Joseph then interpreted both dreams for Pharaoh, about seven years of plenty coming upon the land of Egypt to be followed by uh, seven years of crushing famine that would then come upon Egypt and the entire uh, surrounding region there uh, in, in that, uh, that Middle East, and uh, by the time Joseph leaves the presence of Pharaoh, he then possesses a position in Egypt in terms of authority that was second only to Pharaoh uh, himself. And then later, as the seven years of uh, famine begin to unfold, Joseph's brothers then Made multiple visits to Egypt in order to buy grain for their family uh, as they were living there in Canaan. And upon one of their visits then to Egypt to buy grain, Joseph made himself known to his uh, brothers uh, as, as being the one he had sold into slavery, that he still lived. And all of this left them so stunned. Uh, that not only that he lived, but that he was in this position in Egypt. What uh, God had done in and through his life, that they were incapable of speaking even to Joseph. And Joseph then called for them to bring their father and their entire family from Canaan, bring them into Uh, to Egypt in order to survive the remaining five years uh, of the famine. And at that particular point in time, uh, Joseph is then reunited not only with his brothers, but also with his father. And so Joseph was sold by his brothers as a slave at the age of 17, and uh, and and he was a slave of Potiphar uh and then a prisoner within the prison for a total of 13 years he became known uh, to his brothers at the age of uh 39 and then uh, the death of his father, Jacob, as is recorded earlier in this very same chapter that we're uh, reading from, it occurred when Joseph was about 56 uh, years old. And so uh, this event that we're examining here this morning uh, occurred 30 years after Joseph's brothers had sold him into slavery, and 17 years after the entire family had been uh, reunited in Egypt. The death of their father Jacob, and uh, Jacob being uh, quite a patriarch, he is the third of the three great patriarchs of uh, the Jewish people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when Jacob died, it produced a an additional reaction in uh, Joseph's brothers uh, beyond merely dealing with the death of of their father and the sorrow of that because now they're afraid that Joseph will use the opportunity to take revenge now upon them uh, for the evil that they had uh, done to him some 30 years uh, earlier And of course, none of this is unusual. You maybe know it from your own experience um, or watching it in in the the lives of other people. Uh, So often there is a patriarch, there is a matriarch, Uh, that holds a family together uh, either by virtue of the respect that they have from the rest of the family for the person that they are or sometimes even by uh, fear the family is kept Uh, in line, and all of the kind of divisions, all of the factions, all of the infighting that can happen within a family, uh, all of them are kept uh, under the surface uh, as long as this person is alive. And then as soon as that uh, patriarch or matriarch is uh, gone, that kind of restraining force within uh, the family, then... Uh, all of a sudden uh, the uh, restraint can disappear, the chaos, the uncertainty now about the future of the family, who is going to now become the leader of the family, and and, uh, all of this uh, 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 ensues as kind of a new normal is being established within the family. But it it, it wouldn't have been unusual, and Joseph's brothers knew it. It wouldn't have been unusual in the ancient world For someone in Joseph's position uh, even with a 30-year separation from the sin and the evil uh, to have put these brothers to death over what it is that they had done and at the very least to have imprisoned them and they knew that and so in verses 16 and 17 they came up with a plan and they sent messengers to Joseph they didn't come even uh, them uh, themselves and uh, they sent messengers to Joseph communicating that before the death of their father, uh, that their father Jacob had uh, made known to them his uh, desire that jo- Joseph would uh, forgive his brothers of the wrong that they had done uh, to him. And uh, what they had the messengers say to Joseph concerning Jacob uh, here was almost certainly a fabrication on their part. Jacob never uh, probably said anything of the sort. If Jacob wanted to say anything to Joseph, he had fully 17 years to speak to Joseph about forgiveness or to speak about being reconciled uh, to his brothers. He maintained a very close relationship in his final years with Joseph. Joseph, no doubt, continued to be uh, his favorite among, uh, uh, among his sons. And uh, and also, I, I think in terms of Jacob, he, he realized, knowing Joseph as he did, uh, that he Joseph was, would be incapable of meeting out a vengeance against his brothers after such a long uh, period of time and uh, to do this kind of a thing uh, to the family. And he knew that Joseph was incapable of what the brothers were now uh, fearing. Joseph's reaction to uh, this plan of the brothers that they had in sending the messengers, uh, and uh, out of a concern that Joseph pose some kind of a threat to uh, their well-being, you notice in verse 17 that upon hearing the words of the messengers uh, and understanding the implications of it, Joseph begins immediately to weep. And the Hebrew word there is a very strong word. It means to bewail. Uh, It is the idea of weeping where tears uh, literally begin to pour from your eyes. And this is how uh, deeply and emotionally he is impacted by uh, the the message that these messengers had brought from the brothers. And clearly this message troubled him, it saddened him, and I think he probably wept over the fact that Uh, they felt they needed to send a mediator, a messenger to talk to him uh, concerning any particular issue, Uh, the thought of the unnecessary fear that they had obviously been living under for 17 years, and then over the fact that uh, they thought that his Expressions of forgiveness, his expressions of grace and love toward them for the last 17 years—that uh, somehow they had viewed that as acting, that they had viewed that as as hypocrisy, something that wasn't uh, genuine in Joseph. And for Joseph to realize as they uh, kind of uh, reciprocated the relationship back to him, that the relationship that he thought he had with them of trust and of love and as a family for 17 years didn't exist. That they didn't believe that he was who he presented himself to be. And so they became something different inwardly than what they were outwardly. And so there was no real progress in a in a genuine uh open sincere relationship with with uh one another and here this relationship that he thought he'd had with them for these 17 uh years that behind all of it uh, was this fear and this uh suspicion within within their minds. And I think that for a man as guileless as Joseph is, and as tender-hearted as he is, all of this must have broken his heart. Now, all of this could have been avoided completely if the brothers had just simply, 17 years earlier, upon coming to Egypt, just dealt with the wrong that they had done to Joseph uh, plainly. And openly brought everything out into the open and addressed it and there is a sense in, in, we, in which we can understand why they didn 't You might remember that when Joseph revealed himself uh, to his brothers there in Egypt that they were stunned they couldn 't say anything, and he proceeded to cover them with uh, his tears to cover them with his hugs, his expression of love and concern uh, for them, uh, that uh, they hardly had a chance to even broach the subject on that, uh, that initial scene. But nothing like this in terms of the sin they had done to him is really taken care of until it's taken care of uh, God's way. And the reason they didn't know what Joseph thought of them, what his attitude was toward them, and and, and, uh, they, they, uh, this, and his attitude toward the sin that they committed against him is that they never asked him. And they never came to him and confessed their sin to him and then allowed him to then reveal his heart concerning the uh, wrongdoing. Now, in verse seven and 18 we have their confession of sin now belatedly and uh, and a request for forgiveness and and you kind of have to overlook how uh, how clumsy uh, and even deceptive uh, the rollout of this message to joseph is it's a, it's a, a flawed in, in many ways but it is still important to recognize uh, that the message was from them and that what they communicated to Joseph here in this message was uh, the, it represented the desires of their heart. And in that sense, it is a sterling example of how we are to approach anyone that we have sinned against in order to receive their forgiveness. You notice, first of all, that they did it. And the reason that I mention something so obvious as that is because very often, uh, if not most often, uh, we can simply try to deal with a sin that we've committed against another person by simply ignoring it. And, uh, And that we think that the problem will somehow be solved if we all just ignore it And uh, if enough time goes by and and, uh, is allowed to pass, then we hope everyone will forget it or they'll pretend that it it never happened. But it never works. It never works. There's the old saying, uh, time heals uh, all wounds. And it may be be a a true saying to a degree where the saying is false is in the word all. All. It does not, time does not heal uh, all uh, wounds, uh, not completely. The consequences of sin will never really go away again until it's dealt with God's way. You notice that after 17 years, what they did to Joseph uh, Thirty years earlier there in, in uh, w- what they had done to him, it, it is still dominating the brothers, and it is still dominating uh, for seventeen years the relationship between the brothers and uh, joseph and and This is true of any relationship in life, whether it is a relationship between a husband and a wife and vice versa. Uh, between a parent and a child, a child and a parent, uh, between friends, uh, between brothers and sisters, co-workers, whatever it might be, uh, until there is confession of sin and asking for forgiveness, that wrong is still affecting and influencing that relationship until it is dealt with God's way. Now, you might look at Joseph's brothers here and you might say, well, what good would it do for them to deal with it now uh, after all this time, uh, after 30 years? Isn't it best after 30 years to just let uh, leave uh, sleeping dogs alone and, uh, and just go on and continue to ignore it? And, uh, and, it, and it doesn't. These brothers here, even though they're 17 years late in confessing their sin and asking for forgiveness, it's better in this regard, always better uh, late than never. And they would never be free of the sin they committed against Joseph until they did it. And the relationship uh, would never be healthy uh, with Joseph until they did it. And the same thing is true of every single relationship uh, in our lives. The second thing that I want you to notice here in verse 17 is that they confess their sin to Joseph. And do you notice the strength of the words that they used to describe their sin? Again, it's just such a a sterling example of how to handle uh, this kind of thing. And so when they came to Joseph and they characterized their sin, they confessed it to him you notice that what they called their sin, they called it a trespass. It was done deliberately. It wasn't done accidentally. And that's what a trespass is in the Old Testament. They call it sin. They even go so far as to describe it and declare it uh, to be is it, uh, an evil. So there's no blame shifting, There's no excuses that are offered for what it is that they've uh, done. They don't try to describe their sin in uh, less offensive terms uh, to uh, Joseph. Uh, They don't rename their sin. Uh, 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 They call it exactly uh, what it is. So they didn't say what we can be prone to do. And, that, and when we're uh, uh, endeavoring to, in a half-hearted way, to confess our sin to the person that we've wronged. And we'll say something, well, well, you know, that's just my personality. Uh, I can be hot-headed uh, at, at, at times. Or, you know, you caught me at, at a bad time. Or, or worse, if, if only you hadn't. And, uh, and, 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 and these are the forms so often that some kind of a confession takes And all we do is we strip them uh, of their power. And to their credit, they didn't come with any of that kind of stuff. We sinned against you. It was a trespass. It was a sin. It was even an evil. These guys clearly wanted to come clean once and for all, finally, and be done with the weight of the guilt that they had been carrying for 30 years. And when we sin against someone, we owe this to them. By virtue of our sin, we owe that to every single person that we sin against. And I repeat that. We owe that to the other person. We owe them a confession of our sin. We owe them the uh, are asking for their forgiveness, and when we do it, in obedience to God's word, a huge step forward is allowed to occur in the life of the person that we've sinned against, in terms of healing uh, the damage that has been done uh, to the relationship. And whether that damage is large or whether that damage is small, it is an incredible, incredibly powerful and healing thing that is offered to the other person. And the relationship will never be fully healthy until that is extended uh, to them. And do you notice too concerning those words, trespass, sin, and evil. When is the last time you heard those words in a newscast? Uh, on television, when's the last time you read them in a newspaper? They are simply not used within our culture. Uh, And you know why they're not used within our culture anymore? Because they are Bible words. Because they are God (laughs) uh, 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 words. And here it communicates, in their use of this terminology, the fact that these men now uh, are seeing their sin as God saw it as is, as it's revealed in the word of god and not how it's viewed uh, by the world and we have to be careful with that and not to make the standard for what we consider to be right or wrong in a relationship or how we treat people uh, on the basis of the culture around us the culture of the, around us is disintegrating before our eyes it is getting worse by the week that's not our model Uh, Our model is uh, the Word of God. And so they viewed what they had done now uh, in the light of the Word of God. You notice third in verse 17, those two words following the word evil. Uh, And the two words are to you. Uh, uh, For uh, they did evil to you. And here is the recognition in this confession that their sin was committed against a person. A real, living, feeling, talking, walking human being was affected by their sin. And, And this sin was not committed against a machine. Or against some name or some anonymous uh, thing, but committed against a human being, a person, and this personalizes uh, this confession in a powerful way, and uh, for bringing healing into the life of the person that has been wronged. I sinned, and it's more than saying I sinned. It is go- it is to say i sinned against you and i am sorry and this and the power of that in another person's life and the idea is that this confession of sin isn't to be done in a mechanical way in a heartless way uh, to get something out of the way uh, or uh, that's what the Bible expects of me and I can de- do it in some kind of a detached way a- at all. It is the recognition that my sin has now come and adver- adversely affected another human being and acknowledging the damage that has been done, whether large or small, to the person and also to the relationship. And you notice 4th and verse 17, they openly asked Joseph, for his forgiveness and then fifth in verse 18 they then presented themselves to Joseph as his servants and when they bow down before Joseph once again a fulfillment of the dreams that God had given Joseph 30 years earlier this has happened multiple times now the fulfillment of those dreams but when they bowed down before Joseph it was communicating we are now At your mercy and that is the position that each and every one of us takes when we confess our sin to another person and then ask for their forgiveness at that point we have completely lost control of the situation and that situation is now in the hands of the other person And that freedom of choice that we deliver to the person that we have sinned against represents our humility. And and in humbling ourselves in this way, making ourselves vulnerable to them in this way, it is a powerful, powerful thing in restoring health to a relationship. Joseph's response is given to us in verses 19 through uh, Twenty-one. Now, remember again that the wrong that they had committed against Joseph it cost him thirteen years of his life in uh, prison uh, and uh, uh, and, uh, and not at home. Uh, he it, not someplace watching television or texting i mean it wouldn't it be terrible i mean we've experienced it on some level wouldn't it be terrible to be confined to even a room in a house much less a a a prison uh cell and the prison and he's not there able to try and pass the time through texting or or uh, keeping up with his uh, facebook page and and uh, all, all of the uh, other kind of things that we can fill time with uh, today, but he was a slave and a convict in prison. And he separated all of that time and, and uh, nine years more from all of his family and all of his loved ones from everything that was familiar to him. And you think about the Bitterness that might develop in a person's uh, heart over that. The desire for vengeance. And bitterness and vengeance are powerful things in a human life. They can keep you going for a long time under the dream and the hope that one day I will have the upper hand in this situation and I will uh, show them and so it keeps it alive, but not in a, in a healthy way. And so pretend that we don't know the rest of the account and to ask ourselves, if we were in Joseph's shoes, uh, what would we then do uh, in the light of this message that they've sent uh, to him? And we want to notice here, and it's very important, that Joseph extended forgiveness uh, to them. But to also notice where it came from in his life the place that it came from in his life and his relationship with God and the mindset that that forgiveness flowed from uh, in his life in other words why is Joseph the picture of grace, of forgiveness, of class of godliness in the Bible as opposed to becoming an example of the destructiveness of bitterness, the destructiveness of vengeance, which might have easily happened if he had made, simply made different decisions in all of this. And, uh, and that so many uh, people uh, become when uh, they and we are offered those same choices. And you notice that Joseph told them in verse 19, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God. But what in the world does he mean by that? Don't be afraid, for I, uh, am I in the place of God. And what Joseph is declaring to them here is he is reassuring them that they had nothing to fear from him in terms of vengeance. And here is Joseph's recognition that vengeance Uh, even when so great a series of sins had been committed against him, when the consequences of his brother's sins had been uh, so great, that vengeance was not a weapon that he was free to take up, that vengeance was something that belonged entirely to God. And of course, this is a New Testament uh, truth as well, Uh, written by the Apostle Paul, by uh, the Spirit of God in the New Testament, and uh, Romans chapter 12. And you put yourself in the place of Paul, and the injustices that he experienced at the hand of Jew and Gentile alike, of Christian and non-Christian alike, how easily it would have been for him to be consumed very quickly by bitterness and vengeance. But instead in writing to the church at Rome, he said, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The second thing in verse 17 that we notice is that Joseph knew that these brothers had changed, that they weren't the same men that they were 30 years earlier when they sold him Uh, into slavery. And you notice there in verse 17 that the brothers approach Joseph for forgiveness, but they approach him uh, with the words, the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And that's how they describe themselves to Joseph now, as the servants of the God of the Bible. They certainly weren't the servants of God 30 years earlier. And when they were uh, desiring to commit the murder of one of their brothers. and uh, But now they were. And they are changed men and Joseph knew it. And before revealing his identity to them in Egypt, you re- might remember how, what Joseph did. He watched them like a hawk. They didn't know it was Joseph. They watched how they treated one another. They watched uh, their attitude toward their father. They watched what their attitude was towards Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin. And he could see that 17 years, uh, uh, even 17 years earlier, 13 years after he had been uh, 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 sold uh, by them, that these men were now uh, very, very different men. They were changed men. And, and, And he could... Could see it, and he also could hear as they were talking, not re- realizing they understood his language as they expressed their deep regret over what they had done uh, to Joseph. And unfortunately, not all people change in life. Uh, not a, 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 even all Christians. There are some Christians who never change. Decade in, decade out, they are the same person. There is no growth in their life. There is uh, no change. But I think that. Most of us do. And most people do in general. And for us as Christians, the Holy Spirit changes us day by day and week by week. And changing our attitudes, changing our thinking, changing our actions, changing how we view things in life, how we speak, how we conduct ourselves. And I know that I speak for you. When I say of myself, I am not the same person I was a month ago. I am not the same person I was uh, 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 certainly a year ago, much less uh, 30 years ago uh, as, uh, as here. And it helps us to acknowledge that concerning others as well. What we know to be true about ourselves, that we are no longer the same person, that we were when we did such and such. And that if we, were, uh, if, if we were then the person that we are now, we would handle it entirely different. And to know that about ourselves, but to also recognize that to be true about other people. That they uh, have changed in the same way that we have. And that if they were then the person that they are today, and the person that we clearly see that they are today, they would have never handled it as they did thirty years ago, and uh, and it helps to acknowledge that, and it and it, and it helps our ability to extend grace and forgiveness in those situations. And here they are. They have confessed their sin as clearly as a person can. They have asked for forgiveness in no uncertain terms. And to Joseph's credit here, he does not rub their nose in what happened 30 years uh, earlier, and neither should we. I think all of us recognize this emotion as well. It can be so discouraging when a husband, a wife, a child, a parent, any relationship in our life, so discouraging when a person has genuinely changed. They are no longer the person that they were 30 years ago, 17 years ago, 13 years ago, one year ago, by the grace of God. And to still be viewed in the eyes of a a person that they're confessing their sin to and asking for forgiveness to still be viewed as the person they were uh, 30 years ago. And we know the God of the Bible, that He is a God of second chances. And of course, we cannot be like Him unless we are offering uh, second chances to people who are obviously changed uh, and, and have grown. Uh, from the person that they were when they sinned against us. The third thing that we notice here in verse 20 is that Joseph told them in one of the most famous verses in the Bible, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people. In other words, Joseph recognized the providence of God at work in his life. And, uh, and overruling all of their evil to make all of the evil that they had done to serve God's purposes in Joseph's life. And and I, I tried to define providence in my own way. It's not perfect, but it's helpful for me. And the providence of God is that God rules over all and he overrules all for his purposes in the world and in our lives individually uh, as as uh, Christians and what is the good that Joseph speaks about when he says god uh, meant it for uh, good here and uh, the good is uh, described as to save many people alive including all of the people who would have died in the famine uh, in Egypt, and in Canaan, and in all of the surrounding uh, area, who would have died in the famine otherwise, without Joseph and his wisdom, and his godly character, and his position in Egypt. And all of that's important, but I- I- even more specifically, and even more importantly, this whole thing of, of to save many people alive refers as well to God's exaltation of Joseph for the preservation of his family from death by virtue of the family, and in the saving of his family, Joseph's family, the preservation of the bloodline through which God had promised to provide the world with a Messiah, with a Savior, with Jesus Christ through the bloodline of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made it clear uh, earlier in Genesis when he revealed himself to his brothers in Genesis chapter 45, where he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt, But now do not uh, therefore be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years of famine have been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And here it is. For God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you that bloodline, in the earth, and to save your lives by a great uh, deliverance. And at that point, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, is the single great truth concerning Joseph's life. He is one of the supreme pictures, really second only to Jesus, of the, the picture of the providence of God, how God is, was, is able to take and overwhelm everything, every evil in a human life, to overwhelm it and to work it uh, uh, for good. And our freedom as Christians to view that truth to be as true concerning our lives as it was of Joseph to be able to run our individual lives through the grid of God's active providence at work in our lives as fully as it was in Joseph's life. The permission for that, for us to view our lives in the same way and with that significance, that permission is given to us again in one of the most famous verses in the Bible in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where Paul wrote, And we know, that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. And Joseph's forgiveness flowed in part from his recognition of the providence of God at work in his life. And from watching all of these years... God take each one of these injustices that were committed against him and then making them serve God's purposes in his life uh, and, and, and plan. And then extending forgiveness to others is always much easier when we recognized how God overwhelmed the wrong and then used it for good in our own spiritual growth and for the blessing of other people. And sometimes it takes a long time for that to happen. It can take us a long time. If we don't recognize the providence of God at work in our lives, we can look for months and even years at a wrong that has been done to us. And, and not view the spiritual lessons, the Christ-likeness, the things that we're learning about God, the being conformed in the image of Christ that is occurring from this wrong as God is doing it in, in our lives, and, and, uh, and failing to recognize the hand of God at work, and in, in not in doing it, but in redeeming it for His purposes, And when we fail to do that, then we will head into vengeance. We will head into unforgiveness and into bitterness. But when that light finally goes on in our lives, and we look at the situation, and we lose none of the clarity in terms of what it is that they did to us, but all of a sudden introduced into that clarity... Is the recognition of how God has now overwhelmed it. And done things in our lives and taught us things in our lives. That probably couldn't have happened any other way. And once that light goes on. It becomes much easier. To extend forgiveness to others when they confess their sin. And ask for our forgiveness. And so you look at Joseph's life. Envied and hated by his brothers. Sold to Midianite traders. Sold in Egypt to Potiphar. Falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Thrown into prison. Forgotten two full years by uh, the king's cupbearer. And if someone were to look at it with a natural eye, they would conclude that's the worst string of bad luck a person could ever experience. And yet Joseph looked at those same circumstances and he came to view them with an entirely different conclusion, that God had orchestrated each of those events sequentially with a supernatural precision to bring him into the position he was in for the good of people, both for time and for eternity. And if he had not been sold by his brothers, he would have never ended up in Egypt. And if he had not been ever bought by Potiphar, he would have never met Potiphar's wife. And if he had never been falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, he would have never been thrown into the prison to then interpret the dreams of the baker and the cupbearer. And if he had not been forgotten by the cupbearer, then for those two years, he might have been released from prison two years earlier than Pharaoh's dreams, gone back to Canaan, and no hope of finding this man to bring him before Pharaoh uh, ever again. And where he would have died there in Canaan with his family as a result of the famine or just simply been absorbed into the Gentile population of the world because of the famine and then the chosen bloodline completely lost for the Messiah. But if Joseph had not continued in all of this to walk by faith and continued in his relationship with the Lord through the entire period of all of these things, all the way to the end of it, he would have never come to process all of this the way that he did. He would have never been able to process it from a spiritual perspective. And this is the problem with the person who allows a preparation in their lives that is hard like this to uh, uh, derail them in their relationship with God they fail to see the providence in it the fingerprints of God and then very often a Christian will spend the rest of their life blaming God blaming others uh, the events I- in in their lives and uh, that, that uh, for where they are blaming circumstances and people and then becoming bitter for the rest of their lives and then as a result becoming useless in the hands of God for His kingdom, and they never realize all these decades that are lost in that place for the responsibility they bear, or we bear, for being in that place, for failing then to continue to walk with God, even in times of unfairness, even in times when people sin grievously, and sequentially against us. And then they robbed in that place God of the opportunity to bring those circumstances of their life to this kind of end. They hijack it. They ruin the opportunity. And it's important to understand how important faith and obedience to God is for His purposes for our life, no matter what people do or don't do to us in our life. As you might be aware, Joseph is one of the most amazing types of Jesus to be found in the entire Old Testament. Like Jesus, he was beloved of his Father. Like Jesus, envied and hated without a cause. Sold for pieces of silver, stripped of his robe, delivered up to the Gentiles, became a servant, falsely accused, faithful in the midst of temptation. Everything he did prospered. He stood before rulers, fed people with bread, was unrecognized by his brother, and we could go on and on in that list. I've seen lists that number well into the 70s of the parallels between uh, Joseph and the life of Jesus. But I think that perhaps Joseph was never more like Jesus than he is here in this scene, in this act of forgiveness extended to his brothers in the face of, yes, their sin, their trespass, and their evil against him. And neither will we when we do the same. Of course, we can't help but think of the words of Jesus upon the cross when he cried out. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what you do. And this is what is in the mix in Joseph's heart, in, in his forgiveness as well. And so in verse 20, Joseph isn't merely providing us with another uh, precious verse in, in the Bible concerning the uh, providence of God he is also revealing to us the key components in his willingness to forgive, in his ability to forgive, and to extend forgiveness to others for what they had done to him. And he didn't even have the cross of Calvary to look back on in human history uh, as we do, which teaches us in this vein that if God can take the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the single greatest sin committed in human history, the single darkest event in human history, the creation crucifying and killing their creator, if God and His providence can overwhelm that scene, and work it together for good then there is nothing that we face in our lives that he is not able and not willing to do the same uh, in regard to. Though Joseph goes on to live now for another 54 years following this event the narrative of his life it ends here and they're just the details of his death Uh, and and the the narrative finishes, maybe because this might have been his greatest achievement and his greatest example. And the one moment among many moments in which he was the most like Christ and his confidence in the providence of God to rule over all and overrule all for God, uh, God's purposes and plans for his life and then to extend the forgiveness that flows from that. And so, let's stop and think for a moment here as we close, and just for a moment, do we need to take care of something today? And I ask myself that, concerning some argument with a husband, a wife, a child, a parent, a friend, a family member, a co-worker, something that might have happened last night, might have happened even this morning, or might have happened ten years ago, in which we were wrong, but we have never allowed the confession of our sin and are asking for forgiveness to bring the health that those two things, and only those two things, can bring back to the relationship and to be willing to do that today in response to God's Word and Joseph's example. And then perhaps for others of us here this morning, some of us need a reference point in our lives where we've allowed some set of circumstances in our lives to embitter us against other people, and worse than that, to embitter us against God. And we have allowed even the unfairness of what other people have done to us as an excuse for abandoning our relationship with God, abandoning God's call uh, uh, upon our lives, abandoning obedience to Him, no matter what other people do or don't do to us. And to realize that if I'm in that place, I am wasting my life, but not because God hasn't been faithful but because I am failing to look at those situations in faith the way that Joseph did, and the Word of God calls me to as well. And if I am in that place, to take this lesson from Joseph as well, and to get off that path of vengeance and bitterness and anger and self-pity, and get back on the path of what it is that God has called you and me to be in this crazy, crazy world uh, that we live in and that needs our God so desperately. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, thank you for the truth of this passage and we thank you for the applications, how personal, how real, Um, how present they can be in our lives. And we pray that this wouldn't just be another sermon that we have listened to, but to allow your Holy Spirit and the truth of this passage to have its full impact upon us, upon the relationships within our lives, our relationship with you, and our effectiveness for you in this world. And we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.